Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to speak about speaking. Yes. I'm super excited about this. This is going to be my weekly therapy, <laughs> for sure. Strap on your seatbelt. Mm -hmm. So here's a, the, the lead in here is on last week's episode, we talked about building product service ladders and uh, Rochelle, one of your, I, I think your number two, or at least one of the four of your, your sort of basic products and services that authorities would offer is speaking. And mm -hmm. I have, I would say that I have a fair no, uh, level of experience with speaking. I've done over a hundred conferences of keynoted conferences, you know, fly around for when I was in, in my heyday, I would, you know, spend a month away from home, uh, just going from conference to conference all over the world. And, but for me, it was really more of a marketing thing. Like I got paid for it and I've done some private events that were, you know, high four figures, low, maybe low five figures in some cases, but those are usually private events. It's not like a huge, uh, huge, I don't know, industry conference in, in Las Vegas in front of 5,000 people. I think my biggest mm -hmm. audience was probably 2,500 at South by Southwest. So, you know, I feel like I've got the skills to do speaking, you know, I get good feedback and all that stuff, but I've never really approached it as a product or something, you know, I, I wouldn't do it for, I did it for free at the beginning. Like I think most people do, but we can talk about that. Right. Uh, but eventually I was like, look, I, you got to pay me at least 5,000 bucks if I'm getting on a plane. Like there's no way, you know, mm -hmm. barring favors and charity events and things like that. So, you know, I'm imagining going, you know, it's been, it's been, uh, four years since my daughter was born and now I'm probably going to get back on that horse. So it would be interesting to get your perspective on, on how your sort of authority based clients approach it as a product, as a, as an actual income stream where for me, it was kind of like just extra money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and first of all, the experiences that you describe, I mean, that's what speakers experience. So you've got, I mean, you are the real deal. So, you know, no, no denigrating your, your experience at the podium. And that's what I love about that is that you've built up uh, some credibility, you've built up experience, you've built up skills, and you probably know what you want to talk about and what you're really not interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, well, here's how I think about it. You know, when you think about speaking strategies, I think of three. And one is where you want, it's the one you were just talking about, where you want to create a new revenue stream directly from speaking fees or what I would call linked book sales. You know, you get a speaking gig at X and they also buy, you know, 200 books for their attendees, something like that. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of ways to, to do that. And of course, depending on whether you're self-published or not, you may not want to do that because you get a lot less money <laughs> if you sell a book than if you get a dollar from the speaking uh, from the uh, venue. So that's one. Um, other times you might want to do it because you're not really about the revenue stream per se from the speaking, but you want to attract new clients, buyers, readers, again, depending on what your your revenue model is, mm -hmm. right? And how, how you're going to pull those people through your, your business development funnel. And then the third reason people speak sometimes is just to test out an idea. Yep. You know, you have something and you just want to kind of put it out there. And, you know, now you can do that more with social media. But there's something about being in person, letting people hear you, touch you, you know, catch you at the end of a conference. 
So, and, and you can also do these in reverse. You can start out by testing out an idea that, you know, maybe you're new in, in business and then you start using it to attract clients, buyers, readers, and then you use it as a revenue stream ultimately. Mm. Yeah, that reverse path you just described feels like I'm on, I, I sort of am done with step two. I've done step three where testing out ideas and that uh, certainly I can think back to early speaking engagements. I'm like, oh, well, that was a great idea. That was a terrible idea. It fell flat. <laughs> exactly. And it's like being a stand-up comedian. You think this idea is great and you go up and it just it either kills or it just, everyone's just staring at you like, what? So you're right. Like doing it in person is you you get this you can feel an energy in the room when things are clicking and it's mm. not about it's not necessarily about your presentation skills it it can be about i mean of course it is a little bit but uh, it, it's really about the idea and if you're connecting if you're in front of the right audience those sorts of things and so that's that last one step through that you talked about i feel like I feel like okay been there done that the marketing thing absolutely is how i was using speaking before even though the mm-hmm. money the money was okay um, and now I feel like I'm ready to move up to that next level. And you, you just that one idea that you just said about selling, you know, whether you get paid, it, whether it's the speaking fee or if you, you know, they buy 200 books in advance, like pff, never even occurred to me. Like that's, oh, yeah. that's great. You can make that, you can make that part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fabulous. Cool. All right. And, and depending on your, again, going back to what's your business and revenue model, there are people who have programs and things and you can, there are situations where you can sell those as part of your speech. And I don't mean overtly. I mean that you mesmerize them with your idea and how you can help them do X, right? Transform, mm-hmm. change in some way. And then they, they go and buy your stuff, which could be a program. It could be, you know, something significantly large and leverageable mm-hmm. beyond a book. Yes. Which is funny now because in my mobile consulting days, I didn't really, I had a book, but it was, it, it, it was what got me the speaking gig in most cases, but it wasn't. And, and in fact, actually, now that I think about it, there would sometimes be a table that the publisher would set up that I, you know, people could buy books mm-hmm. and I'd sit there and sign them. And, mm-hmm. but that was fairly, yeah, it wasn't super common. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't even notice it until just now, honestly, that, you know, but it was a, you know, third party published book. So they were making all the money off of it. I was getting like, you know, a dollar per book, if that. Exactly. Probably more like and a so- quarter. Yeah. So it's really easy in those cases to make sure that you get paid in speaking fees versus book sales. Right. But now I've got also, you know, a different, I'm in a different space now. I've got a different kind of expertise that, that is driving it and have all sorts, you know, I've got all sorts of things like self-published books. I've got, I don't know, like four and one big one and three little ones. And all these other sort of leverage products because the the ladder is now built out where before I was I sold one thing that like mm-hmm. we talked about last week I sold that top tier consulting you know advisory retainers or uh, project oversight or you know occasionally I would do training but it was mostly just this one huge purchase so uh, and and it it does work for selling those but. I'm not selling those so much anymore. And it's wild to think like, wow, imagine, imagine going up in front of a room of 200 people and, you know, literally half of them go buy something like, wow, that yeah. would be a, that would be yeah. extremely lucrative. Yeah. And, and that's why, I mean, the, the one piece of advice that, I, you know, I think is going to thread through everything we talk about today is that you want to have a clear goal for your speaking that ties into your business and revenue model, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're going to spin your wheels. You'll, 
you know, you'll say yes when you should say no and vice versa. And you'll find it, you know, really challenging to make it a viable revenue generator or a new business funnel. Hmm. Very good. Very good. Okay. So for folks who, who don't have a lot of experience speaking, but they've got a big idea, where, like, how much speaking for free should you do? Should you speak for free at all? Should you only do local events? Should you just do meetups to kind of get practice and test the idea? So that, that third level, that sort of beginnerish level, where do you have people go or do you even have people do that? Uh, or do you have them do something else like, uh, well, first write a book and do book signings and talk to your audience there. And then maybe we'll, you know, like, how do you usually approach that? Yeah. Well, you know, in terms of, you know, should you do it for free or get paid? Here's my philosophy. The only time you want to do free is when it's clear that you're winning something that's valuable to you. Mm-hmm. So think about that. So if you're new to speaking, you need the practice. You really do need to do some stuff for free and, and it will motivate you to get better, to hone your edge. I mean, everybody says, oh, I want to be on the big stage. Well, stage. <laughs> Go for the smaller groups, the breakout sessions, the workshops, and a lot of those, especially in industry conferences, they're not paying those people. But you're getting an amazing amount of visibility. And if you're just starting, you're going to get an amazing amount of feedback about how to keep honing your presentation, your delivery, how you engage with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing is that, I mean, it's really easy to say, oh, sure, I'll do the speech for free when the room is packed with your potential clients, right? And you're in this place where what you really want to do is build your consulting practice. Mm -hmm. The thing I found is that I think a lot of times we imagine that the room is filled with potential (laughs) clients, but it really isn't. Yes. I mean, you know, it could be, but that's part of you got to be really clear about, you know, what you're selling and to whom. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at the group and decide if your potential clients are in there. It, it just you have to be really careful. I, I worked with one guy who spoke a lot and he was, you know, maybe the twenty to twenty five thousand dollar category. And he would do, you know, maybe one free speech every couple of years. And he explained it to me this way. He'd been speaking for, I don't know, maybe 10 years before I met him. And he said that. Um, what would happen is they'd say, oh, this room is full of potential clients. And he had a firm with other people to keep busy. So he, you know, generally wanted to do that. He said he he almost never got an assignment out of it. What he got was referrals to do more free speeches. <laughs> he said, that's yeah. it. I'm not doing any more for free. But it depends on the point that you're at. And just yep. if you're going to do free, get something that you think is valuable. Yeah, I can't. Uh, there have been a number of occasions, not too many, thankfully, but I can remember plenty of times, you know, sort of taking a lower fee because the the conference was probably going to be well-heeled buyers. And you get to the room and it's a teeny room and three people show up and you're like, really? <laughs> I flew to Vegas for this? You just, it's, it's hard to, rec- honestly, it's, you have to really pull, really dig deep and pull out your professionalism to, to like deliver a 45 minute speech to three people three who are people. not interested. It's like, oh man, you know, you know, of the three, one of them gets up halfway through and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the other thing that sometimes people do is, especially if they're like a first time author is that, you know, you, you tell yourself, oh, they're going to buy my book and the exposure is worth it. So uh, do the math, 
right? So so the general rule of thumb is it's rare to sell more than 20% to even the perfect crowd for you when it comes to books. Right. So if you're speaking to 100 people and 20 people buy your $20 book, you're going to get $400. Hmm. Um, I'm guessing it took you more than $400 worth of your time to get ready, get there, deliver. Now, again, I'm, that's a very discreet example where it's just the book. You have to look at your whole revenue model and see how speaking can can help you with it. But you also, um, you might want to speak for free if you want to, say, test out some, some new material or you want to get footage for your sizzle reel. Yeah. And we, you know, we'll talk about that more. But sometimes it's just you need video and you need video with a crowd. You know, it's tough to fake video. Uh, And and so in that case, you can even reach out and request for someone to to, you know, let you into a a place that normally that they would have to pay you for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay, a couple a couple of tips I'll add in there on that point. Uh, I think I honestly don't remember if this was an Alan Weiss tip or it might have been Michael Port, but for somebody who's just starting out, I mean, I guess I'm lucky because I'm in sort of a college town, but for someone who's just starting out, they've got an idea and they don't have any connections. They don't have any video or anything like that. Uh, it's, it has been fairly easy for me to reach out to local colleges and just say, you know, talk to, in my case, the computer science department head, really easy to get a hold of. And, you know, I'm near Brown University and RISD and Providence College, and, you know, some decent sized schools mm-hmm. and say, hey, um, I've got a either I've got a new book out or I've got a new talk that I'm uh, I'm working on. I'd love to present it for free to your students. Uh, do you think, you know, would you guys uh, really I would just need a place to do it? You know, mm-hmm. and of course, it's a college. They have a million places to do it. So uh, and I've had you know, every time I've asked, I've gotten a, I've gotten uh, an engagement. Um, done them at I, the ones I listed, I think Brown, Providence College, um, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But, uh, and one of the things I would ask is like, hey, could you have one of the, the uh, could you have someone record it? You know, so, so that, you know, it's in a big room, it, you know, sort of stadium right. seating and you get the recording out of it, which is good. You get the practice, which is good. You get the interplay with the audience, which is good practice. It's very low risk. And I didn't have to fly anywhere. I just drove, mm-hmm. you know, drove a few miles brought my laptop, set up, boom, did it. Uh, it's very low pressure. So if you're, if you're, you know, I, I don't really, I don't think we need to get into stage fright stuff in this episode, maybe a future episode, we could get into the actual mechanics of it, but it's just great practice. And, mm-hmm. and you're talking to kids. So assuming you're probably, you know, anyone listening to this is probably post-college, I would imagine. So it, I don't know, it just, it's like a great practice gig. I think meetups are another one, but yeah. I think that's a brilliant strategy or tactic. I, I, I really like that because students, they're great at asking tough questions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no fear. And, and depending on the university, you know, they're taught to critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great training for somebody who's just getting started. And even for somebody who has done it a lot where you're trying out something new and you want to see what the reaction is. Absolutely. And then you can say, hey, I spoke at Brown. I spoke at Providence <laughs> College, you know, and it's exactly. like, hmm, it's got, it feels got a little bit of street cred feel to it. 
Well, the other thing I want to point out, too, is that it's it usually, not always, but it depends on the department, but there's usually somebody responsible for video who's way better than you might think for mm-hmm. students. And, you know, you know, if it doesn't come out, hey, you know, you've lost nothing, but it's a whole lot cheaper than paying, say, a couple of grand to get a local videographer to come out with a couple cameras and some mics. Right. Yeah. It that, just saves some money. Yeah. That's been my experience. I get good audio out of them, but the videos were across the board terrible (laughs) yeah it it, sometimes you get lucky i have a client here that does some things with uh, usc and um, they've got some really good video people there i've gotten some really professional quality stuff from students Hmm. but yeah yeah, in my case it was more the more the the just the lighting in the room itself wasn't yeah impressive you know so it was like looks like you're in just the angles and stuff it just didn't look (laughs) <laughs> it wasn't shot from the right angle. The lighting wasn't right. It just didn't look professional, but the audio came out all right. So, so you can use that. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So at what point, well, I'll tell you the story of how I started getting paid like non-trivial money. And then you can tell me if that's in your experience common. Um, at the very beginning, going way back to maybe 2000 four or five, I think was the first time I got on a big stage in front of a lot of people. Actually, that might've been my biggest room. My, my very first talk on a real, at a real conference, <laughs> it was probably three or 4,000 people. And it, you know, it was like the main stage. And I essentially, how did I get the gig? I, I was in line in the buffet with the person who organized the conference and I just talked her into it. I was like, <laughs> I've got this idea, you know, she sort of knew who I was, but I was definitely not a rock star. And I was like, super excited about this idea. I said, we, we really, you, you, we got to talk about this. It's, and I think just my excitement and passion for the subject kind of convinced her. And I don't know what we were at. We weren't at the conference, obviously, because that's scheduled in advance. But uh, yeah, she let me on the bill for the next, the next um, big annual conference for this particular software. And it, it it went pretty well. It wasn't in retrospect. I don't know why I was that excited about the idea. It wasn't that great, but it was, it was interesting, <laughs> but I did it for free. That's the point. I mean, almost all these conferences will uh, fly you there and give you a room. And uh, sometimes they don't though. And some, the really snooty ones, the ones that think they're way better than, <laughs> than you. Uh, and sometimes they'll say, Oh, well, we'll give you a free ticket to the show. Like, no kidding. What am I going to do? Pay to get in. So, <laughs> So, but I did it, but essentially did the first, the first few, like completely for free with no even thought, like no way are they going to pay me for this? Like I basically talked my way into the gig. They're not going to pay me on top of it. But after a while, um, they, they, you start to be, you start to appear less risky to other conference organizers. So they're like, oh, okay, well, this person seems to be, no, I don't want to say in demand, but a safe bet, let's say. Mm-hmm. And you start to get more and more requests. Like the first time you get a, a, an unsolicited email, hey, can you come speak at our conference? You're like, oh, wow, what? It's, <laughs> it feels so me? great. <laughs> yeah, little old me. And eventually you start getting asked to, you know, oh, could you fly to Minsk to speak to a, a room full of 20 JavaScript developers? And you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> And right around the time that I started to get sick of it, or I started to feel like I should start turning down uh, opportunities, I was, that's right at the same time that I started 
just asking for money or, or people started offering me money. It's, it felt like it happened at the same time mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, I've gone as far as I'm going to go with the free stuff. And now it's, you know, you start to get sick of flying, you start to get sick of hotels and you start to get, I've given this talk 25 times this year. I don't really feel like doing it again. That kind of thing. It's like, now you mm-hmm. have to pay me. So it felt very organic to me, but I don't know. Is that, is that kind of the shift that happens that you see, or is it, I, I feel like it was a little bit seat of the pants and I could have been more, I could have been pickier and more intentional about the whole thing. Well, I mean, I think what you did was really organic and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, going where opportunities take you. But I think if, if, if you were doing what you're doing now, you wouldn't, you organic wouldn't feel comfortable to you, Mm. right? Because you say, okay, my time is valuable and there are ways I can spend it where I can make an uh, an impact where I can influence people and I can make money. So how much of my time do I really want to spend speaking, right? Right. So um, I see it a couple ways. I see it that kind of organic, what you described is not uncommon at all. It's it's you have a big idea, you have a business, and you're intrigued. And and there there are people who get on that platform, and it feels like them. You know what I mean? It's the energy. It's a rush. It's a it's a it's exciting. It's um, you know, it, assuming one is a good speaker, right? It's it's all those things. So there's that appeal. What I see a lot is people who um, have developed a business, they're making money, sometimes they're making a lot of money, and they've got this big idea. And then it's like, okay, I'd like to influence more people. It's Mm -hmm. really about, in, in my experience, it's really about the influence. And it's not that they don't care about the money. They absolutely do. Cause uh, you know, when you first start speaking, you can usually make a lot more money in your business than you can at speaking. Right. Right. So you're giving Mm -hmm. up something to be able to develop speaking. But if you've got a really conscious idea and and you have a strategy that says, I want to influence this particular kind of person, then you look for ways to do that. And so, you know, speaking is one of them. Writing a book is one of them. Writing a book is a great way to launch a speaking career. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily write it just for that. Um, but it's, there's a, I think there's a logical way to look at it depending on your point of evolution. So let's say, Jonathan, let's just use you as an example. Let's say that everything you've done with your speaking up to now has all been on the same theme. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you got a new thing. Remember how you said every 10 years or so you get this idea and you just run with it. So let's say Mm -hmm. you got another big idea that was, let's assume it piggybacked on it some in some way, but it's new. Yes. And so then you have to decide strategically, what do you want to do with that? How do you want to enlist people in it? And that's when you start to say, again, in the product service ladder context, what uh, should I be speaking and what role should that play? Should I start testing it out and doing it for free? Should I write a book about it first and come out fully formed? Should I start with social media and with my email list and then write the book and then come out fully formed and then do the speaking? <laughs> you know, and I don't mean to make that sound confusing. I just think it depends on where you are right now and what you're willing to do to work with your speaking. Do you want it to be a revenue stream? And if you do, I believe you have to do it really consciously. Yes, I'd agree with that. 
So, yeah, so the, the sort of mishmash of possibilities that you just said, I think, really depends on the individual and how they best hash out their ideas. I, I think, I can't think of a situation where it, it's, it's really, I suppose, a very research-driven type of, type of expert could theoretically pull a big idea out of data but still you need to find even even once you do that unless you're just a master natural communicator you're going to need to to practice getting that information across to other people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. be able you know it could be webinars it could be an email list it could but you need to have some kind of conversation with lots of people so however you get that executed i think it comes down to like your comfort zone because it's it's the most vulnerable vulnerable you're going to be because you haven't really it's not fully formed yet you don't you don't know how to answer all the questions you're not sure how it's going to hit people from a different background or culture or or political leaning or whatever you know you just right. have to bounce the idea off lots and lots of people and then it kind of hardens and becomes boiled down or concentrated so, you know, if you want to do that at meetups or you want to do that on a big stage, fine, like whatever. But I think it's podcast or podcast I mean, right. as a podcast guest, you could make you could make the rounds big time. and talk about your yeah, talk about your idea. Yep. So you mentioned so if you did want to let's say, well, you actually described exactly me. So I've had lots of speaking experience, but it was all about, you know, sort of evangelizing for the mobile web. And it's a very different thing than what I'm doing now, which is, you know, trying to bury the billable hour. So it's the same kind of audience, though, because before I was talking to software developers, and I'm still talking to software developers, but it's just about a different thing. So it's a it's sort of an audience piggyback but it's a completely different area and if i was if i was going to do speaking uh you know like the traditional speaking like fly around and get on stage it would definitely be as a revenue stream because i feel like the marketing thing not only am i kind of over that but from a marketing (laughs) standpoint in my particular area podcasting and webinars works way better from from a bang mm-hmm. for the buck perspective you know so mm-hmm. f- from my office i can reach 300 to 500 people easy uh, 1500 like 1500 people a week download uh, ditching hourly another several hundred download this you know, there's like that's a giant room full of people mm-hmm. you know so i don't need to to fly around for to either practice the ideas or get feedback from people or expose people to, you know, to create an impact. It's not, it just doesn't, unless you love traveling, it just doesn't scale that great. You know, it doesn't scale. Well, it's better in a way because it's yes. In, in real life is super powerful. I mean, it's an, it's massively high data transfer. The bandwidth on an in-person experience is as high as it gets. So it, it's great, but it, it'll burn you out real fast if you're not, if you're also, you know, the rest of the time working to pay the bills. So it, for me, it would need to be a significant, a non-trivial, like we're talking five figures to start mm-hmm. for it to make well, any kind of sense. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just heard your speech topic and what you said, you know, something like, you know, why you should bury the billable hour. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so it, you would need I could see why you would need five figures to get out of your house. Yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> why would you otherwise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although you threw kind of a, a kind of a, a wild card in there, though, with 
the idea of the organizers buying books. And so let's maybe, maybe shift a little bit to, uh, you mentioned sort of intentionally going after a, a speaking career as a revenue stream. And, you know, so what, what is, what are the adults do when they, you know what I mean? They, they get like a, do you get an agent or a speaker's bureau or whatever? And, and, uh, you know, have somebody else get an assistant that makes all your arrangements or is it, is it just depend? Well, you know, I'm a consultant. I always say it depends, but I mean, <laughs> the, you know, I'll tell you, I'll give you a couple of, you know, real life examples. So one example was, uh, an author who uh, came out with a second book on this one topic and was leaving his old business and kind of said, gee, you know what, maybe there's a business in this. And he wanted to do speaking and consulting. And so, but we had around positioning him as, as an expert in this one um, technical, well, not so technical, but in, in this one area and this one niche. Um, and so, you know, we, we put him out there. And so we said, uh, when I, when I met him, he was taking $500 for doing a speech, which mm. we're like, no, no, that's not how you're going to build a business doing $500 a pop. Mm. So, uh, what we did with, with him is we started to get some video because he, he did some academic speaking. So we got some video from that. Um, he never created a speaker's reel, never did it, never saw the value in it, did not want to go there. But he was out there on seemingly everybody's YouTube channel because they would uh, record a part of part of his speech and they liked the things he had to say. He was a very popular speaker. Um, and so over time, we went I had him start at $2,500 after 500. I said, no, no, no. I think you need to be at least here. You're, you're an expert and we have to say no to everything, anything that's not at least $2,500. You say no, unless there's some like favor or something involved that, you know, payback. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really scary when you start saying no to, you've been making $500 or zero (laughs) and all of a sudden people are offering you 2000. You're saying, nope, $2,500. $2,500. And so, so we, we had some no's and then we got some yeses. And after there were a certain number of yeses, then we raised it to five mm-hmm. and you say no to the ones that are less than that. And I mean, that's really what you have to do is you have to be, if you want to build it as a, as a, as a revenue generator and you want to do it with purpose and you don't want to waste a lot of time, you do it very strate- aggressively, strategically or strategically aggressively. Mm. Right. So, so here's a question. So what would happen if he jumped straight to five? Did, was there, what happened while he was getting uh, gigs for 2,500 that was there something that happened that allowed him to attract bigger fish or hone his thing or spread his message or just increase his reputation? Or could he have just jumped straight to five? Uh, he probably could have jumped straight to five. This is, in my mind, this was a confidence issue. Gotcha. You really, and, and, and don't get me wrong. He got better. Mm-hmm. Um, did he get, you know, a hundred percent better to go from 2,500 to 5,000? No, no. Right. He was already really, really good and a master of his niche. Mm-hmm. It was about the confidence and, and the courage to say no. Right. It's really hard for most people to say no 
to when somebody starts throwing a few thousand dollars at you, and they're like, oh, well, and I'm going to be in front of these people and I really like to speak and somebody might hire me. Somebody might write, you know, uh, buy my books. Um, you, you have to you have to say no. You have to set a value for yourself. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I see that a lot where it's just like they can't, you know, the, the Alan, I think we've mentioned Alan Weiss three times now, <laughs> but his, uh, he's always saying the first sales to yourself. You know, if you don't believe you're worth $5,000, then you're not. Well, but, and there's, there's yeah. this piece too, I, you know, I, I was talking to a, a, a mastermind group of consultants and one of the guys, um, he was saying how much he likes speaking, but he was worried he was doing too much of it. And he had a firm. So, you know, he wants to send work to people in his, in his company. And so, you know, it was a mastermind. So we got down and dirty into his business model. So I, I learned, you know, kind of enough. And it turns out that he was speaking like six to eight times a month. Ooh. Which is crazy busy. Yeah. I mean, most people speak maybe once a month. This guy was obviously single. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> he is now. <laughs> he is now, right? <laughs> but but so but all of this was almost all of it was uh, on the road industry conferences. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing: his top fee yeah. was two thousand uh. dollars. So he's earning maybe twelve to sixteen thousand dollars a month, you know, for the privilege of running himself into the ground. Right. And so what I said to him is, look, here's a really easy solution: just double your fees. Right. And say, you know, it's just four grand. He's, you know, he's a noted authority within this pretty narrow niche. You know, just just say no if, if they can't afford you. And he was so reluctant to pull the trigger. Now, near as I can tell, he still hasn't. And what what I believe it was. I could be wrong. This is just somebody in a group that I just met. But that platform speaking was the thing that really made him come alive. Mm -hmm. So he's running a business. He's working in this area of expertise. I don't think it was really doing it for him. Being on that platform was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and all he could see was, okay, so I might make as much money, but I'd only do half the speeches. Oh, I don't want to do half. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, it's kind of insanity from a, you know, strategic perspective, but I think there was something, you know, about him that made him just want to be on that platform. And at the same time, not having enough confidence in his worth to charge more, hmm. even try to charge more. I mean, he right. didn't even want to have the conversation. Right. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I have a background of performing arts. There's like, like, some, you know, most people you meet are just, they think stage fright and dry mouth and sweaty palms and all that. But uh, one, if you get over that, once you get over that, or once you position that in your mind as excitement and not fear, then it can be extremely addictive. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all to hear that. But, but, you know, as you could tell by my reaction, that is a crazy schedule to maintain for any length of time. I mean, you live in, you're living on a plane at that point. Oh, yeah. That's like a touring in a rock band almost. It, it was a crazy thing. And, and then, but to complain about it and go, this isn't working, but then not even be willing to think about a solution. I, you know, that's, that's, a, that's maybe a di different, yeah. different one. But there's also something that I call a situational extrovert that I think applies here a lot. I work with a lot of introverts. I mean, mm -hmm. people who are, you know, essentially rocket scientists, you know, in their area of expertise, and they like to study and do research and things like that. But you get them on a stage, mm -hmm. and they are mesmerizing, which you wouldn't think, because if you meet with them, they're quiet, kind of unassuming, but they come alive. 
on the stage. And they can only do that because they have all this other time to research and be their introvert selves. And they have to be, they have to know absolutely everything before they get comfortable Mm -hmm. being up on a stage and then just watch them go. Mm -hmm. So anybody listening to this, who's thinking, I'd really like to speak. I think I could, I could get out there. I think I could be successful, but I just don't, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm just not sure I could be on the stage. Mm -hmm. Think again, (laughs) you might surprise yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's a funny situation that, that happened to me recently where I'm doing consulting for a company uh, in an area of expertise and they are looking for, they have a internal event. They're looking for a speaker for the event. Uh, you know, not, it's not my area of expertise. The speaker they're looking for would be someone not, it's obviously not going to be me because it's just mm-hmm. not my space. So they were like, could you help us find someone? And I said, sure. I didn't even think to go to like a speaker's bureau or something like that. I, they, they told me the, the budget and the, the type of talk that they were looking for. So like they were going to have this room full mm-hmm. of, of clients as like their annual user meeting or the annual client meeting. They've got all of these, all of these customers are going to bring them in and they want to have someone speak about a topic that will be uh, relevant to them, but also someone who's going to be entertaining. And, mm. and I, so I'm trying to think what I did to find them. I, I, I mean, the, the core point, though, is that I didn't go to a speaker's bureau. It, that feels so like 1980s to me. It just feels bizarre. <laughs> and what what did I do? I looked for, I searched for the topic. And, you know, it was related to like mobile payments. And so I searched for the topic and I looked for what I would call thought leaders or people who, people who are promiscuously speaking about this sort of thing. <laughs> and... I, uh, I found a list of, um, reporters who have this sort of beat like for the economist or for the financial times. And I went through their articles and I'm like, who did they interview about this? And then I would find that person's name. I would Google them. I would look for YouTube videos of them speaking. And, uh, and I gotta say, maybe I should have looked at speaker bureaus because it was, it was really hard. There were mm-hmm. a surprisingly few number of people who, were both engaging and had an interesting idea who weren't selling something. So like a lot of the people who get interviewed by the talking heads on the subject were, you know, they worked at visa or something, you know, that, so they, you immediately couldn't trust their opinion because they're an internal employee Mm -hmm. at a platform. So it was like, really, it was surprisingly hard. I was like, wow, somebody, this, this spot, there, there were two or three names that kept coming up, of course. So, so those couple of people were like, oh, that's how I did the search. Cause they knew who they wanted, but he wasn't available. So I searched for him and then I saw which conferences he spoke at and I saw who else spoke at the conference and then I started searching ah. for them. And it was, uh, it, it's almost like that space is wide open for a couple of more players, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. But so what, so do you have, do you, your clients have experience with speaker bureaus? Is like that the only way to get to the $50,000 range? It seems like all the, you know, the, the Dan Pinks of the world or like, um, oh, who's the start with why guy? Simon Sinek, you know, I'm I'm sure he's getting 50 Mm -hmm. grand to a hundred grand to do a, a keynote presentation. You know, you do a TED talk and it's kind of like, it's kind of like do a TED talk if you want to be a speaker. It's like, you know, that's, it feels to me like that's the, that's the door. And opener. write a book. Oh, you got to write, write a book. You got to write a book. Yeah. yeah. 
that's kind of a given. Um, well, the Speakers Bureau, I mean, I was intrigued by what you said about it feels so 1980s. And I could see like in the situation you described where you're looking for somebody and you're not a meeting planner. Mm-hmm. I can see why you would do what you did. Most meeting planners won't do all that. Right. Um, they'll typically have, um, you know, a set of Speakers Bureau reps on speed dial. And that could be five, it could be 10, it could even be 20. I mean, it depends. Like, you know, if you want, um, I don't know why I'm thinking of James Carville, but I am. I know he's with the Washington Speakers Bureau, which is one of the most um, prestigious ones. Um, You know, you just go there. If you want somebody at that level, the only way you're going to get them is through a Speakers Bureau. And when I say that level, I mean a, a, a true... Um, political or Hollywood or I don't even want to say YouTube, I guess political or Hollywood celebrity, that's where you're going to go. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Top tier. That's the only way you're going to get them. Yeah. Like a for sports. For the other experts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's another one. But for the other, you know, quote unquote experts who are well known, um, they don't always have a speaker's bureau. Um, you can, again, it, it, it's all over the lot. It depends on what you're speaking about and how well known you are. I mean, this is all about making a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, and yeah. so, um, you know, I'm kind of laughing because in the situation you described, they said, oh, we want Joe. We can't have Joe. So let's find somebody who's like Joe, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, it's an interesting situation and it happens more than you think. So, so the meeting planners tend to have someplace to go. Now, when I say meeting planners, I'm talking about the big conferences, like the ones in Vegas where they have multi-million dollar budgets. They don't have time to sort through because to do what you did, they'd have to do that maybe 40 times for a two or three day conference. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. Um, The other thing that happens, especially in industry conferences, is that there's some kind of a committee. Mm-hmm. And it's more about do you does somebody in that committee know your work? Maybe they don't know you personally, but do they know your work? So so whether you have a speakers bureau or not, what you want to invest in is making that name for yourself. So that means things like books, video, sizzle reel, articles, being a guest on podcasts and and video interviews. It's everything. It's being active in social media. It's using the right keywords. It's not just your big idea, but where does that big idea apply? And it's doing all of those things. And then the whole Speakers Bureau thing to me is a catch-22, sort of like getting a publisher, right? Yeah. When you really need a Speakers Bureau because you don't know anybody, they don't want you. Right. You're too hard to market. And when you've got it going on, then they want you and you're going to pay usually between 20 and 30% of your fees to right. that Speakers Bureau. Yeah. It's exactly, yeah. It reminds me, the same as record labels. Everybody wants you when you already have an audience. It's like, well, thanks anyway. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and so what you want to ask yourself is, you know, what can a speaker's bureau buy you? And some people who do a fair amount of speaking do it with an admin where it it comes in um, and they have somebody negotiate if, if, you know, depending on their status, they may not negotiate themselves. They have somebody negotiate um, the price and the terms and you have a standard contract. It's not hard to put those together. You have your admin person who sets up meetings and sets up all the travel if the if the speaking venue doesn't do it or the, the organization that's hiring you doesn't do it. You know, you've got all that and you can do that really cheaply. But to to make that work, you have to have the name already. Right. Yeah, I you know I don't know. 
<laughs> it feels it feels <laughs> Am like, I depressing like, you no no it's just I, I think it's it's what i what it seems it's what it seems like you know you kind of have to just hustle and build it up you know just keep putting yourself out there be saying the same thing build up your body of work you know I don't want to say by hook or by crook because it sounds like you're you're scrabbling the whole time. I mean, you can you can operate at a you know sub fifteen thousand dollar an engagement level and still be doing great. Yeah. So you know, and there's nothing wrong with speaking for free, provided you get something out of it that you value. Mm. Right. Right. Because you've got to get experience. You have to be able to to do the story. I just had a client that went through um, working with a, a speaking coach. And, and it wasn't just, oh, how do I say these words? I mean, he really helped him craft the stories mm -hmm. that he used. And it was brilliant. Like the before and the after, you know, because as experts, we tend to like to say, well, you do this and you do this and you do this and this is the process, right? But what your audience wants are the stories mm -hmm. that go with that. And so part of being a really effective speaker where you can get um, speaking fees with lots of zeros after them is being able to tell really effective stories that help move the needle for the audience. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. All right. So are there I'm trying to think, is there anything else we, I'm trying, I'm trying not to go down to the tactical level. There's, there's a bunch, I mean, dozens right. of, I've got entire blog posts about, you know, Hacking conferences for fun and profit is one that, that we can link to in the show notes, but it's like when a conference is going on and you know that it's being attended by the, the kind of audience that you're trying to impact, then there's all these things you can do to try to get a speaking slot. If you don't get a speaking slot, what you can do instead, what mm -hmm. you shouldn't do, um, you know, ways to get in, insert yourself into the social media feed so on and so forth. There's a, a whole bunch How of you ideas price for these things. How do you go after them? How do you negotiate your price? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot, a lot like that. More tactical stuff we could talk about. Right, right. Probably save that for a future episode. So dear listener, if you'd be interested in things like that, you can uh, contact us through the website. Our Twitter accounts are at thebusinessofauthority.com. You can just click on one of those and at messages. All right. Please do. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.